does this thing work again? Wait, I think I gotta hold on. Hello? Hello, is this thing on? Oh wait, I think it's this button. That's right, that's right. This is Bill, and welcome back to the Gamers Lounge. This is Gamers Lounge episode 143. Uh, This episode will have been recorded on January 8th, 2019. I know it has been quite the hiatus for the listener, but welcome back, dear listener. We are happy to have you, and... I can say, at least from the beginning, I have missed speaking into the microphone. I am trying to kick things back off with a bang, and at least this time, I can promise more than just one episode every nine months. So, with that being said, holy crap, it has been a while. If you are a new listener, I mean, let's be fair. We only have one listener at the Gamers Lounge here. I only record for that one listener. But let's just say the consciousness gets spread among multiple bodies. And, you know, that one listener is listening through multiple years. Uh, If that is you and you are the new listener, welcome. I would try to give you a thumbnail of what the Gamers Lounge is. But let's be fair. The Gamers Lounge has been running for quite quite some time. Uh, This is episode 143. I just continued on with the general, uh, you know, basically I just continued on. No general anything. Um, Continue to count, continue to push forward from the previous episode last, I think it was May. Um, Gamers Lounge is a podcast about gaming that has been running since 2010. So that means this uh, February, end of February coming up, we will be moving on to nine years old, which that's that's quite some time. <laughs> that is quite some time. Um, that said, we've gone through lots of changes over the years, uh, lots of different formats, and this is yet another one. However, I'm endeavoring to be back on a regular schedule. Uh, I know for at least the next set of podcasts, we should be coming out uh, every other week is my goal. So um, aiming for Mondays, sometimes it may be Tuesdays, uh, but I'm looking at that type of schedule. So welcome back. If you are a old time listener, welcome. If you are a new listener, know that I am focused on the listener. And at the end of the day, this is a no edit limited edit no no edit um open potentially explicit podcast we focus on gaming Uh, i'm going to focus for the upcoming you know next several shows on uh helping out some friends in the industry uh talking about games that i am playing and part of my goal is actually to review my rather large collection of games that I have assembled over the past couple of years. Um, Before I kind of went on hiatus, I had started collecting and playing a lot of board games. I'm still playing a fair number of miniature games, and I thought it might be fun and a good, you know, good thing to cover to start trying to review each of those games. And uh, that's, that's my goal. So hopefully... That will make up for lots of episodes coming up, lots of good listening, and, well, welcome back. For this episode, I was joined by Tom. Uh, Tom is of Moonstone fame. I actually reviewed Moonstone when it first came out on the Kickstarter. I had a good friend of mine, Richie, who is part of Goblin King Games, and Tom, who is the, uh, the founder and head of Goblin King Games on the show. Um, Now we're talking about what's new, what's changed since their Kickstarter shipped, uh, what's changed since the game has been out there, and all of that. So let's jump in, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, 
Hello, and I am joined today by a very special guest, uh, Tom. How have you been? Hey, uh, yeah, very good. Thank you for having me. So we, yeah, we we should jump in by by explaining it's it's uh, you know not just Tom. So this isn't uh, like Tom, your friend on uh, MySpace. Uh, this is actually Tom from Moonstone Games, uh, Goblin Goblin King Games, makers of Moonstone. So uh, back from your world travels, and uh, yeah. I wanted to get you on for the relaunch of Gamers Lounge to talk about Moonstone, which is a game I have staring at me from my shelves right now because uh, I don't have enough paint on my models. <laughs> oh, very exciting to see um... Uh, your podcast is coming back anyway. That's good. I, I, thanks. I uh, I am too. Believe it or not, it, uh, doing the recording is is a lot of fun. So so Tom, it has been about a year since we chatted. Mm-hmm. You have had a and, you know I can happily report for all those people who jumped in and and picked up the game. You have had a successful Kickstarter. We did. We we did it. Yeah, we got to the end. So, yeah. It was a, a process, as I'm sure anyone who's run a Kickstarter will know. Um, but uh, it was it was very fulfilling. Boom boom. If you uh, pardon my pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not just that, but now there's a company. There's distribution. There's a game out in the wild. There's there's people playing. There's podcasts being made. I mean, you're kind of you're you're right into the world of gaming now. It's it's getting pretty scarily legit, isn't it? It's almost like we're um, actual professionals. All of a sudden. <laughs> well, let's not go too far now. <laughs> yeah, no, right. I said almost. <laughs> so, so what was it like? Let's. Um, I mean, if I can kind of bring you back mentally, you know, you finished up the Kickstarter, had to jump into shipping and everything. Was it as? What did you go through? Was it as much of a nightmare as? It seems to be when we look at these other companies, you know, run to China I, and everything. I don't know. I think maybe we, we had an easier time of it than some others that I've heard. Mostly everything ran um, like clockwork. The only issues we had was with miniatures production being delayed. Um, and, and, you know, that was the only thing, really, which that was frustrating for us because we obviously uh, having backers saying, where's my stuff? And we've been told that it's due to come, and it's not come yet. Um, but th- that was it, really. You know, our backers were incredible. We weren't particularly late, just a, a couple of months in the end. And our backers were all super understanding um, and supportive throughout. And do you know what? It was a, I, it was quite an enjoyable process, all in all, I would say. There was some long hours of kind of um, slogging away on that rule book late at night, trying to get that... Um, polished and perfect and ready for print. Yep. Uh, and and lots and lots and lots of playtesting went on during the whole um, uh, process. We did a couple of years of playtesting before the Kickstarter, and then the year from the Kickstarter to release, I was still playtesting the hell out of it to try and make sure that we were happy with everything. But no, it was it was good. I um I enjoyed it a lot. That's that's great. So. I, I mean, you talk about playtesting. I think a lot of people don't realize, and and I wonder how much you did beforehand. You know, once you go through Kickstarter, you get your game launched, and then not just launch a game, but make that decision that I want this to be a company. I want this to be more than just a one shot out the door, but a sustainable sort of growing community and and everything else. What goes into thinking that through what goes into new development new play testing what are the things you didn't think of beforehand well in a way um i don't want to sound overly <laughs> smug here but we released 30 characters in the kickstarter but we'd already been play testing about 50 okay and we had to cut it back um because we didn't want to bite off more than we could chew um so going into so we're obviously planning um, spoilers, but we're planning to launch at retail in March. Everybody loves spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> um, which will be basically the contents of, of the Kickstarter will now become available with some tweaks and improvements that we've, you, you know, inevitably have come up from, from running a Kickstarter. Um, we 
already have quite a number of models in mind and even artwork that's been done for a release schedule which will allow us to bring out uh, a new troop box so our troop boxes are, are boxes of three models that kind of work together and have some sort of theme um, about every six weeks or so throughout 2019 and into the first half of 2020 and they're all kind of mapped out um, they've all been played with at least once but um, the ones which are earlier on in the release schedule have been played with a lot they're the ones that we were playing with before the kickstarter even started so the ones that are coming kind of later on in the year they're the ones that i'm now focusing on so yeah it's great fun i I, it's one of my favorite parts my my two favorite parts of this job is coming up with the concepts and working with the artists and sculptors to kind of make them real and then the other favorite part is the kind of play testing and um making little tweaks here and there and coming up with cool new abilities that, that add synergies for people to discover later on that's awesome. That's awesome. So how has the reception been? It's been really good. Um, we, Do you know what? I've, I've heard all sorts of horror stories about gamers being difficult to please, should we say. <laughs> but um, I've, I've, we've barely had a single... I can't rack in my brain to try and think if anyone has ever made a negative comment online yet. People who've played it have all... I've all loved it, and and I was nervous, you know, is this because there's quite a lot of very uh, original mechanics in Moonstone. Yep. Um, I was nervous whether people would get it, um, so I'm always incredibly pleased when I see people post comments to say, "Oh my god, the melee system in Moonstone is the most intuitive I've ever played." It, you know, and people often comment that the rules are really clean and simple, which makes me really, really happy. Because I obviously hoped for that, and that's what I like. I like games that are, you know, pushing boundaries in in terms of the um, mechanics of the game, um, but are really, really clean and precise as well, um, which we seem to have done well on. Also, a lot of people who kind of theory-crafted and sort of made comments that Moonstone wouldn't be a tournament game We've run a few tournaments, and the feedback on that has been excellent, that it does play very well as a tournament game. I uh, I was actually going to ask about that. I know, so you actually said you ran a couple of tournaments. I knew about the one in July, and I wanted to know yeah. how that went. I followed that a bit online, but so you've run, it's more than just that one that was run at Firestorm in July. Yeah, we've run two at Firestorm, and... Um, Dan uh, Humphrey has run to, he's he's one of our um, main advocates. We've got an advocate program uh, called the Goblin Scheme, and he's he's definitely one of the most active at the moment, uh, and he's a, a brilliant bloke as well. Um, he's run two at the games table in Norwich, so we've had four tournaments so far. That's fantastic. So what have... Um... What surprised you out of the tournaments and what, you know, what have you seen from a, and you said it's really well balanced. What have you seen overall? Is, are any of the factions jumping ahead? Uh, you know, things along those lines. One of the things that I'm definitely noticing and I'm not at all surprised by is that humans are doing the best in tournaments at the moment because they are by far the easiest to use. Okay. Humans in Moonstone are the, are the big guys. You know, gnomes and fairies and uh, goblins are all smaller than yep. humans. So humans stomp around being quite good in, in melee, and they have a lot of very strong static abilities like damage reduction and, and damage increases. Um, so you can play them quite effectively just by running forward and engaging in melee and seeing what happens. Whereas uh, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got, um, you've got goblins who who have lots of weird tricks and if you if you haven't worked out the weird tricks yet and the combos they're not as strong if you just run forwards and try and fight as the humans are Mm -hmm. um the fairies are the most difficult to use of all um they've got absolutely tons of energy which is our action points so they they can be very very reactive because because in Moonstone you you get to make these reaction steps and you can kind of spend energy out of activation. So you need to it's the real thinking man's faction. You have to all of their attacks are quite short ranged as well, so they have to get dangerously close 
to use them um, and then kind of conserve enough energy to flee or use energy on their own um, defensive abilities or um, melee buffs to, to kind of allow themselves to flee back out of danger again. And I'm not sure that um, the kind of... There's a, there's, a, there's a skill curve, effectively, which is kindest to humans and harshest to fairies. And once you've been playing the game for a long time, then they are really, really nicely balanced. Um, but we're tending to find that humans are doing a little bit better in tournaments, um, mostly because I think that they're, they're just a little bit more intuitive to use at this stage. Okay. Now, let me ask you this, um, and, and I think I can ask this because if I understand the rumors correctly, you are a tournament winner at your own game. <laughs> yeah, no, it's quite embarrassing. <laughs> I, uh, it was a little bit self-indulgent. I, um, <laughs> I decided to enter a tournament because, you know, I don't often play competitively. I'm mostly playtesting. And when I'm playtesting, I'm trying to try out the new abilities and trying out combinations. I don't know if they're going to work or not yet and, and, and that sort of thing. And it, it seemed like quite a novel experience to, to me to actually enter a tournament and try and win it, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, which, of course, I did, um, which is a relief, because if I hadn't won, imagine the... Uh... Well, especially if you were trying, right? If you hadn't won, it would have yeah. been like, well, I just wanted to give you guys a chance. <laughs> I know, and I, I, I was stupid enough to tell people that I was going to try and win as well, so there was a lot of pressure on me. And it would also, if I hadn't have won after having played... <laughs> 200 games against people that had only played six games so far then it wouldn't have necessarily it wouldn't necessarily have reflected that well on the game it might you, people might have thought oh, there's no skill in this game so yeah, i kind true. of had to win <laughs> so um do you find out a, a lot of times in games those factions that have a um sort of a high skill floor high skill ceiling yeah, are very strong for the people that actually put in the time to figure them out. Yeah, that's um, exactly the case. Yeah, is, is it? And that's what I was wondering. Is so, like, if you have your, if you were going to go out, right, or whoever, you know, if we look at Daniel or whoever has played a ton of games, and they walk into a competitive event, do you do you see them gravitating to fairies or one of the more skill intensive, and then I just see. being able to do well? I do actually, yeah. I um, I think I think different races and will appeal to to different types of player. The people who like to think through all their moves very carefully and plan ahead will gravitate towards fairies, and those kind of mentalities tend to be the players that are better at um, tournament play. Um, whereas kind of players that are kind of just there for the experience, run forwards, chuck a load, load of dice, see what happens, will perhaps gravitate towards some of the other races. And people who really like doing sneaky tricks will gravitate towards goblins. But I do think we're going to see over this next year um, more and more tournaments being won by the fairies once people get to grips with them. Okay. I mean, I'm already noticing the players group. We've got a Moonstone players group on Facebook that's are pushing a hundred um, participants now, and I'm noticing when people are commenting on their games more and more often, they're commenting on fairies winning. Now, where does that leave your gnomes? I notice, like we've we've just in natural conversation, we've kind of danced around the uh, the gnomes. So I'm really surprised by this. They they've not been doing very well. Um, and prior to the Kickstarter, if I'd have had to place money, I would have said that gnomes were the strongest faction. Really? Yeah. So I really would. They did very, very well in our playtest group. So what types of things do you think people are missing with the gnomes? Or what is it that you thought would have put them sort of head and shoulders slightly below the uh, you know, rest of it? Well, I, that was a bad yeah, part, but... <laughs> It's a good question. The gnomes are, are absolutely superb when they are, are in close proximity to one another. So most of their... They, they, they're very good in the late game. Um, they're not so good in the first couple of turns and very, very strong in turn four. Um, 
due to the way their energy is distributed on their health and the fact that they've got kind of regenerative type abilities and a very strong healer. Um, they're very good against fairies because they've got magical resistance and we're not seeing fairies dominating, which means the gnomes aren't getting that benefit that they got in our playtest group. Um, they, they also have two characters, Mama Gimbal and um, Gradok, the two, the two elderly gnomes, who are subtly amazing. <laughs> Particularly Gradok, who doesn't look like he's going to be that powerful, but with his his uh, smell a lie ability and um he, he can allow you to bluff for free so he's he's really useful and he can also he's got forgetfulness which allows you to make one of your opponents lose one of their abilities and he can actually play it twice so an early turn activation with him can be absolutely devastating if you take the opposite uh, the opponent's healer's healing ability away from them before they've had a chance to do any healing that turn. Those kind of things that just take a little bit of time to, to learn. Had a hilarious uh, situation actually come up in one of the tournaments where we had a gnome off, two gnome back mm-hmm. troops fighting one another. And one of the um, uh, one of the Gradocs tried to take the healing away from the, the, the Mama Gimbal on the opposite side. And then he thought, oh, crap, that, they're just going to do the same thing back to me. So he used his forgetfulness on the other Gradoc to make the Gradoc on the opposite side forget his forgetfulness. <laughs> so, yeah, he he somehow made the other guy forget how to forget. <laughs> it was quite funny. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So I I wonder is it uh, do you have you seen any availability issues? You know, is it maybe that gnomes aren't as much out? in people's hands or yeah i mean that's a definite other factor the goblins and humans were released in the kickstarter in wave one uh and the gnomes and the fairies in wave two so people have had their hands on the goblins and humans for longer probably about twice as long yep so they've so they've had more experience playing with them and they're also the slightly easier ones to use um so i think that's a factor as well i'm 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 very confident that the gnomes are gonna um, are gonna surge up as well, and I'm confident that the goblins are gonna surge up. I think the humans' current dominance in the very very fledgling tournament scene is not gonna last that long once everyone kind of has get got more games under the belts. Okay, and that's one of the things I saw around here is while I have the full set of. Well, everything except for Joanna. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of the people that did the Kickstarter around me sort of being a new game went in with just the starter set or just the basics and maybe one expansion. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, surprised when I roll out um, stuff they haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of inevitable in any game. But it's, it's going to get really interesting. At the moment... At the moment, people's troop compositions are, are quite basic because there's a lot of synergies within the races mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, so you'll tend to find people will mostly play one of those four races and maybe they'll chuck in a big guy. And occasionally they might splash in one other character from another race. Like if you're trying to make a gnome gun line, you might put in Flintlock or put Gradock into a human list or whatever. But it, it tends to be quite racially segregated coming along with the new characters that are coming on in book two there's a lot more uh options for mixed race factions a lot more of the abilities trigger on um other keywords other than race so things like there's there's a quite a nice rogue build where people uh, are able to manipulate and um enhance the effects of other rogues which will kind of give you cross-race troop builds. There's quite a few really, really interesting cross-race troop builds which are going to become possible. There's a pacifist build as well, where you basically don't attempt to fight at all. It's all about um, board control and making the opponent give you their stones and, you know, tricks along those lines. So that's a really good question, which is... How much are you seeing this drift towards combat versus towards focusing on the moonstones themselves? 
I regularly see games where both players completely ignore the moonstones and try and kill one another to the last man. And then at the very end of the game, whoever's got a man left picks up one moonstone to win. And I've equally seen games where not a single attack is made until right at the end of the game. I've seen games where people dance around picking up stones using movement abilities and uh, and then only at the end think oh damn I'm now in I'm now in the losing position I need to hit someone to to knock a stone free so I've seen both of those you know in tournaments um now was that what you were hoping I mean I mean I guess that's one of the challenges right you have a picture in your head in the development side and the playtesting on how you see the game playing but is has it met that expectation yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I think it has. That that was an aim. You, you know, Moonstone, you don't actually get any victory points for, um, in the standard scenario anyway. We've got um, six more scenarios in the main rulebook and then mm-hmm. another six coming in playtesting at the moment. But in the standard scenario, you get nothing for killing uh, an enemy. It's just purely the fact that they've now got less characters on the board to... Um, to pick up moonstones so there's there's always been a strategy of just trying to grab as many moonstones as you can and then try and avoid fighting uh, and use your other tricks um and you know you, you, since we introduced the slow carry rule so once people's carrying a moonstone their their move is reduced there's also become quite a strong strategy for ignoring the moonstones because you don't want to be slowed down by carrying them if, until later on in the game and just trying to kind of guard them yep. with your melee zone so it's it's interesting it's working out well it's working out exactly as i'd hoped that's that's fantastic that is uh that's good to hear Right. It was something that I think uh, I know I, I was a little interested in hearing and worried about was some games that have alternate win conditions. You still see I, Guild Ball. You saw this, right? You see this yeah. sort of drift towards fighting. Yeah. So and in Moonstone, you, you stuck to your guns uh, early on and made it an alternate scenario where uh, fighting actually rewards you. Yeah. And I. It, it, coming in in our later releases, we, we've got, we're calling it Book Two for for want of a snazzier name. But um, there's a lot more characters who have um, more ways to basically take moonstones off the opposition. So there's more ways to play than than just fighting, right? Compared to what there was in the first book. Um, but even within the first book, you know, there's still a variety of tactics which are are working successfully for people that's great so joanna has Mm -hmm. made her appearance through the year so uh limited edition and it even looks if if i'm if i am (laughs) making this guess correctly that she'll be uh showing up in a new box you will yeah it's going to be the first of our new box sets to come after the retail launch uh it's called the outlanders box so i went for gnomes first of all because they've only got six characters in the the, in the kickstarter which is less than all the others the um fairies had seven the goblins had eight and the humans had nine so sorry goblins had nine and humans had eight so i wanted to top them up first of all so they've got kind of there's a new box set called outlanders that's got a sort of a viking theme so joanna is the um the nordic princess and she's got uh she's been um sort of banished from her ancestral lands and has hidden her treasure and has gone off into the forest and made all these forest friends so she's got all kinds of abilities that allow her to interact with woodlands and animals nice um She's also got, just like young Jack, they, these gnomes are quite fond of uh, fond of a, a drink or two. She's got like um, an elixir, which is a bit of a gamble. She can drink it and she either kind of loses all her energy or she goes absolutely berserk. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, what can you what can you talk about with the rest of the box? I mean, this is, uh, I would say, yeah. the biggest surprise might be the blimp. Yeah, so so the blimp probably won't actually be in the Outlanders box. It'll probably be in a separate box, like the um, like the giant and the troll, okay. just because it's going to be a big old lump of resin. Um, 
but um, I I kind of wanted to push the boundaries on what kind of characters we could get away with in Moonstone, and um, and I wanted to add a a kind of a character that was basically refuses melee. You can't melee the blimp, and the blimp can't melee you. It exists on like a, a different level. It can't dig up the moonstones either. It's it's purely there as a kind of a support unit. Oh wow. Um, we're also bringing out uh, that there's no art currently for it, but we're bringing out a goblin airship as well. So the goblin airship is going to be a giant inflated toad with like its eyes bulging out and its arms sticking out. And uh, a goblin uh, uh, kind of sitting on like a Gatling gun, like a little pea shooter spinning around. So <laughs> so you can see some blimp on blimp action coming soon. <laughs> that sounds like it'll be fun. That sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. So, uh, and, then, nice. and then the other, other carrots in the box, we've got uh, Loki, who's, um, who's another of our Viking uh, kind of inspired gnomes. He's a shipwright with a, with a hammer. And he's got lots of kind of weird manipulative abilities. He's almost got fairy-like abilities. Um, and then we've got uh, Muraday, who's a cross-faction, so you can take him in your Dominion lists, um, gnome rogue. So he's a thief, basically, with a, a big rat skin on his back. And he's... He's quite good in one of the um, play. I mentioned it earlier on in the call, actually, our rogues mm-hmm. uh, theme, um, because he gives other rogues plus one arcane. And we've got two new fairies coming along that have got absolutely devastatingly powerful abilities, but they've got quite low arcane stats. So he works quite nicely with those. So we can see some gnome and fairy combo lists coming up soon. Now, when you build these combos, have you gotten any feedback, or or I should say, what has the feedback been, or what have you seen in play? And I ask that because, you know, we have, um, the name just slipped my head, but we have in the goblins, we have the goblin who absolutely synergizes with the giant. And I yeah. know people locally, yeah. now again... People locally around me haven't played quite as quite as much as probably the people that are going to your tournaments. But I know a lot of people that basically went, uh, he synergizes with the, you know, with the giant. I haven't gotten the giant yet, so I'm just going to uh, mighty midget, right? So I'm just going to leave him off for now and move on to building crews another way. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, there are there are a lot of synergies in the goblins that aren't as obvious as some of the synergies and some of the other races, it, some of the ones that specifically mention, you know, if a certain keyword is within a certain distance in inches, they get a benefit. It's really obvious. Oh, these guys should work together. The goblins, a lot of their um, synergies like Shabaroon and fire spitter work unbelievably well together. Mm-hmm. Um, Shabaroon can give Fire Spitter an extra energy, which allows him to fire his flamethrower twice in a turn. That's brilliant. Um, the Fire Spitter hates being bogged down in combat. He's rubbish and just tends to start to run away. Um, Shabaroon can sort of teleport him out of combat, um, where he's vulnerable, into an upstairs window where nobody can get him and restock him with his energy so he can now flamethrower back down on the courtyard below. Um Shabaroon can also make him explode. Um, Shabaroon can use his goblin luck ability, which causes a catastrophe on a model. We don't say enemy model. It can be used on anyone you like. You can run Fire Spitter into the middle of um, a group of enemies and then use his goblin luck to, to make the Fire Spitter suffer a catastrophe, which means his barrel explodes and it does four magical damage to everyone in three inches. So there are loads of there are synergies in the goblins that aren't aren't written out. They aren't spelled spell out to you on the cards. Right. But once you've learned the tricks, you're like, oh, actually, that's that is really quite disgusting. <laughs> what you're able to do with them. Okay. Uh, so so I guess you're not seeing as much of a reticence to use some of the characters that have the name synergies when you don't have the other model with them. No, not really. I mean, to be honest, it's quite a small range that we've got. So a lot of people that I'm encountering are 
are buying, you know, if they notice that there's a, a character that synergizes one that they've already got, they're tending to just buy them and give them a try. But they don't, we don't really have very many, um, in fact, I don't think we have any named synergies in the sense of, you know, Eric and Baron, Eric the Squire and Baron von Fanciat, they come in a box together and they synergize amazingly. In <laughs> right, fact, I very right. re- rarely ever take Baron von Fanciat without Eric because he's only got two energies, quite slow, but he's devastatingly powerful, but he kind of needs Eric to, to use his My Hero to donate energy. But Eric works absolutely great because uh, he, he his ability doesn't say um, give two energy to Baron von Fanciat. It says give two energy to a noble or one energy to a soldier. Right, right. So he works, So there's a, a really, really strong build that you can do at the moment with the models that are already out there is the nobles build. So you build a troop working off the nobles keywords. So you've got Baron von Fanciat, uh, Young Jack, and Kaufman, who are all nobles, Eric can choose which of those to give his two energy to, and he can heal any of them. And then if you have Gotchgut in the force as well, then any if any of them take a wound, Gotchgut can use his bodyguard ability, because that triggers off the noble keyword, to, to take the wounds off them. So... Um, so the, we deliberately built these synergies. So you're like, oh yeah, there's a really obvious synergy between uh, Baron Van Fancia and uh, Eric because they come in the box together. But then when you look at it, actually you go, oh, hang on a minute, there's actually a lot more ways I can make synergistic builds. I was testing actually um, a build again, new characters, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's mostly built around the soldiers keyword. So Eric is also a soldier, which at the moment does very little. But with some of the new characters coming along, it starts to become quite important. And his um, build medic ability, when all he can heal is uh, himself and the Baron and Flintlock, seems a bit weak. But when everyone's a soldier and a noble in the list, then suddenly he becomes quite a capable healer and also quite flexible in who he can give his energy to. So... um, yeah, there's lots and lots of really cool um, synergy work in the pipeline, should we say. And people are discovering new synergies as well. Occasionally, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know 99% of them, <laughs> but sometimes I'll I'll see people playing a game and I think, oh, <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that, nice. <laughs> which is always good. Nice. So how have the, uh, how have the big guys been received? You know, Gotchgut and uh, Boulder. I think people have, you know, because Moonstone doesn't have a points value system, mm-hmm. um, most people are used to playing games where if you put a big guy down, he's worth three of the little guys, let's say, because the, the, that's how that game works. You know, he's, they have a points value system where, it, and he can be proportionally more powerful. In Moonstone, um, like Guild Ball, every character is equal in theory so being big comes with drawbacks and typically they have really low melee stats so you don't always get the card you want and um they've got quite low energy so they have a load of wounds and people will look at the card straight away and go oh my god he's amazing he's got all these wounds (laughs) he does all this extra damage he'll never die (laughs) he'll never die but they do die really quite quickly because they've got that quite high evade stat so if somebody's shooting at them, they get two extra cards. So they go down really quickly to arcane-heavy troops. Mm-hmm. So fairies with loads of um, spells and, and a known gun line can bring them down before they get near their lines. Whereas a goblin like Vicious Midget is going to just kind of sneak straight through and teleport around the back and start hacking their healer apart. So they are they are as I wanted them to be, basically. They work nicely. Um, people almost always take them because they look really cool in a troop. You know, you see your, your five normal-sized models and then one big one. I really like taking Boulder with fairies because fairies don't have anyone who can... Well, Wasp can a bit, but compared to the other races, they can't hold ground very well. Right. They have to kind of give it away when people uh, hassle them. So it's really nice 
Ross having Boulder, you run him forward into the middle, try and stick him in the most awkward place where he's got as many moonstones around him as possible. People can't harvest them whilst they're engaged by him. And he's got his uh, calcify, which sucks energy away from people that are too close to him. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a fairy and you've got five and six energy on all of your characters, losing one isn't the end of the world if you do happen to come close to him. Whereas if you're Baron Von Fancy Hat and you've only got two energy to begin with, losing one of them is really, really harsh. So I love taking Boulder in a fairies list. Um kind of knowing realistically that he's going to probably die by the end of the game, um, but he's going to be quite hard to take down. And in the meantime, the fairies have been left alone to kind of fly around the outside in a, in a big sort of C shape, casting all of their, casting all their tricks and spells. I, I have to say it is, it is utterly fascinating to me. And I think it shows how much time you've spent in in the world, but also looking at the game, how easily you transition from talking about a fairies list to then looking at the mechanics of there's really only two factions, not four, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's uh, you know, you're you're talking about building your fairies and adding in one or two models, but the reality is, you know, we're talking about a full dominion list or a you know a, yeah. a, a full um um. Ah, yeah, and there's the brain. Commonwealth, yeah. Yeah, for so, Commonwealth list. So. so, so I mean, one of the strongest lists, I would say, at the moment, is that Nobles build, which is a mixture of gnomes and humans. Um, and you're going to definitely, definitely see more of that in the future. It, talking of the future, there's two factions. That it's, it's an unusual thing about Moonstone. I like... I like this kind of deck building thing that you get in Magic the Gathering where it, it encourages you to play a single colour. Yep. You get a benefit in your mana, mana management, but you can splash in other colours. I wanted that in Moonstone. So the kind of the simple entry point is, oh, I'll play Gnomes. But then the, the you, once you've played the game for a few months, you think, hang on a minute, I could put Eric in there and that would be really useful because he could, he could um, heal young Jack and give him energy and um give him extra melee stat that would be really useful um so i kind of wanted it to have that cross magic the gathering style ability to 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 mix and match but with the really really obvious synergies being within the races right um big 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 spoiler we are bringing in a third faction oh really you heard it here first Oh, yeah, wow. we've, got, um, we've got 11 characters designed for a brand new faction, uh, which are called the uh, Leshevolt. So they are worshippers of a god called Leshevit, who's a nature and atrophy god, a big kind of horned beast thing that lives in the woods. Oh. So very, very different angle. But I'll, I'll wait until... Um, Richie's available because this is a lot of these characters are are his um, his babies, and one thing we are uh, very strongly considering at the moment is whilst we are going to be launching our previous Kickstarter uh, to retail stores in March, and then we have a release schedule mapped out for the next year, which is is going to expand on the the fairies and the gnomes and the and the humans. We're considering also running a new Kickstarter uh, this year for the third faction. So, so, we can so let me go back to make sure I understand. So the new expansion boxes that are coming out, are they straight to retail or are they going to be kickstarted? So all of the stuff that we um, that all of the stuff from Commonwealth and Dominion mm-hmm. is going to go straight to retail. Okay. And, and then the, the Leshevitz is going to be... The Leshevitz we're thinking of doing as a, as a Kickstarter. Nice. Because we would like to basically get this moving fast, you know, get, you know, grow the company as quickly as we can. And the original plan was to hang on to these, this third faction, the Leshevitz, for um, sometime like 2020 to 2021. Um, and I, I just... I just think it'd be good to kind of get them out there sooner. Mm-hmm. So, so we think because of the fact that I'm kind of working full time on Moonstone at the moment, that we've got the capacity to do that. Um, whereas we didn't before. Oh, that's exciting. 
Uh, yeah. So so we're basically going to accelerate the whole thing and and have um, something kind of very very easily separated out and shiny and new as a Kickstarter, and then lots of ongoing rolling support for the existing stuff coming out via retail. And the Leshevitz will eventually come out on via retail as well. Um, we'll probably produce a book three that includes the new faction and a few extras for, for the existing factions. Um, but again, there's lots and lots of cross-pollination possible, lots and lots of the 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 deck built, the um, troop building aspect is going to become a lot, lot more interesting in the future with all the new characters coming along. Now, have you had any thoughts about expanding or tweaking um, either the magic deck or, more importantly, the combat deck? No, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I mean, they're uh, working the way you like it then. Yeah, it's working exactly the way I hoped. Um it got tweaked a lot during not a lot it got tweaked several times during playtesting particularly early playtesting where it mm-hmm. was radically tweaked and a number of times and simplified and then in later playtesting um you know just changing the odd digit here you know adding one extra damage on one of the uh, combinations for one of the cards and stuff like that but um it it was about a year before the kickstarter that I was happy with those decks and I'm still equally happy with them now, okay. even two years on of, of playing. They feel like they're working really, really well. So do you um, feel there's a dealing with the combat deck yeah, specifically, right? Do you feel like it's a, it, it's a pretty quick to a plateau on how to use it, you know, and, and you get into the feel quickly on, I have whatever my special move is on my character, but I kind of know these are the right choices if I'm fighting or, <laughs> or are there tricks that you, that there's actually a curve there that is either steeper or not steeper? Yeah. So the answer is it goes on forever. You can be playing for um, three years and still be looking at your hand every single time going, I'm not sure what card to pick because if I pick that one, that's the obvious choice and, and he'll know that that's the obvious choice. So he's probably going to pick this one against me. So I'll do this one instead. Um, so the fact that you have the signature moves and you've got certain abilities which increase damage on on you know plus yep. two to slicing or whatever is is information which is available to both players so you know what your best card to play is but so does your opponent and they'll know because it's written right there on the card what the best thing to play against your best right. card is um so there's there's a lot to it and you know sometimes you um sometimes you're gonna just go you know, balls out and go really aggressive because you, you're willing to, at this stage in the game, maybe sacrifice a model because you want mutual destruction. Sometimes you might be playing, um, you know, you want to kill them, but you're going to trick, you're going to basically go in with an attack but actually do a block because you, you are really confident that you know what they're going to play and then you're going to follow up with a, a really nasty attack afterwards. So sometimes I'll look... I'll look at my hand and I'll know that my opponent's got a really good rising attack um, and I think he's probably going to play it. And I'll look at my hand and I might have three falling swings, which would do loads of damage against the rising attack. Mm-hmm. But I've also got a low guard. If I play the low guard, I can stop all of his damage and then get a free hit after I've seen his hand. I don't know if I explained that very well, particularly to someone who's not played the game, but the, the upshot is everyone who's played it... Said, it's, the, it's right there with you. <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone who's played it has, has said to me afterwards. Although the melee mechanic is the most challenging part of the game to learn, um, because it's the most different from anything else, mm-hmm. um, it's it almost always is the thing that people tell me is their favourite part of the game, because it's so interactive. It's not just a case of rolling a dice and going, oh, I've done three damage, rolling some more dice, oh, I've done five damage to you this time. Um, you, Every time you enter combat, it's a real risk, and you're having to weigh up your options. Do I, do I, uh, do I play safe on this round, or do, I, or do I go in hard? And you look at your hand, and you're like, oh, I've got duplicates of 
of a good attack. I'm, I'm going to go for it this time round. Um, so, yeah, very happy with how it's been received. Like I said, before the Kickstarter went out, I had some nerves around whether people would get it. Um, it can make a big difference if you're if you're trying to learn it yourself, if you're sat at home and you've received a rule book and you're, you're trying to work it out, it's probably a lot more challenging than if you've come along to one of the conventions and we've given you a quick demo. Yeah. I, and I'll say this, um, having talked about you and Richie during the development and kind of understanding how the, the cards played, I was a little surprised to see the bluffing worked really uh, like, was fully embraced. I won't say worked really well because the bluffing works well on both both sides of the system. But on the magic system, I see people bluff all the time or yeah. not bluff, right? You know, the uh, the, the counter bluff. Yeah. Or um, you make it look like you're bluffing when actually you're not. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't see yeah. – I haven't seen that as much on the combat system. Or maybe it goes to what you're saying. It takes a while to wrap your head around it. But I, I typically see sort of – players default down to "Eh, i'm just okay i drew three blocks and a and a upward swing i want to do damage i'm just going to do the upward swing yeah um so so i wouldn't say that what goes on in melee is you i'm not sure if i would use the term bluffing or not but there is definitely a degree of reading your opponent and trying to work out what you think they want to do mm-hmm. and what you think they're able to do because the other thing is if you're a character with a very high melee stat you can quite often draw really big hands and have lots of choices ma- yep huge lots of choices lots of potential to do multiple damage but most importantly of all lots of information on what your opponent does and doesn't have right this is a very small deck if you've drawn 10 cards out of 21 and they've only drawn five cards you can make and you and you've got all three of the high guards you know they don't have any high guards you know so i you, hadn't thought about that maybe that's could, what i'm seeing is people don't don't know the decks as well as they need to with more games yeah i, I guess it probably takes half a dozen games to kind of uh, spot some of these things you know, or play someone who's already spotted them, and then they can point them out. <laughs> it's a lot more difficult if you're, uh, you know, learning any game in in isolation. I think. Right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no. It, it it it. You were saying like, well, people always fall back to their default. So if somebody's got a signature move on a falling swing, they're always going to play the falling swing. For example. If that's the case in your playgroup, and you're the first person to work it work out what I'm about to say, then then it's brilliant. If everyone is always playing their signature move, you just look at what card is best against the signature move. Yep. So if somebody's always playing the falling swing because that's the signature move, you look you you see ah oh, high guard is brilliant because it stops their signature move doing anything, and I get a free hit back on them. At which point the player who was previously always playing their their signature move is suddenly going to go into round and think, "Ah, oh, he thinks I'm going to play a, a falling swing because I always do. I'm going to trick him by doing a rising attack." And that's where that—it's not bluffing, but it's where that kind of interactivity and reading the opponent part is represented in melee, which is slightly different from the way it's represented in in arcane. But in in fact, I think it's probably deeper and more more rewarding right in the in the long run once you've got the hang of it well that and the um we certainly see the the greed for wanting to play a follow-up card yeah. <laughs> ooh, ooh, i have a follow-up symbol i'm gonna go ahead and, and make sure i play that and try to get it off yeah i think as well um one thing that some people uh might not have immediately got the hang of is a lot of um, a lot of the healers and fairies have have really strong um, defensive signature moves, um, and it's a quite a good idea to save back one of your energy so that you can draw the two extra cards to increase mm-hmm. your chances of pulling off one of those defensive moves. And there's uh, there, there are um, signature moves that do damage on 
on the guards as well. Like, Wasp can uh, play a high guard, but his version of the high guard actually does loads of damage. Oh, okay. There's, 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 there's a ton, there's an absolute ton to discover, basically. See, I have not gotten my fairies on the table nearly enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by far, they are my favorite models. So. Yeah, they, they are lovely. Um, I think the idea to put them on the scenic bases was, was a really good one. Yes. So they are, although they are as flimsy and dainty as we dared go, and there are a couple of places where we've thickened them up for the retail launch, um, and we have a, a, in quite a few uh, areas across the range, if we started to notice uh, breakages in components, we've gone back to the sculptors and had those parts thickened. And obviously the fairies being, we wanted them to look as dainty and small as possible. So they were the most prone to those kind of issues. So there's quite a few improvements to the design coming coming along in the new versions. But oh, wow. um, the, the idea of kind of having them hanging off trees and sitting on trees so that when you look at your fairies, they look about as big as your opponent's force was was definitely a good move. They'd have looked kind of sad if they were really tiny, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> on the big thirty-three <laughs> mm base. It's so. playing that ten millimeter game in a uh, in a thirty millimeter uh, overall yeah. game, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Tom, I, I as we sort of draw to a close, I know we uh, we sort of blocked out some time. Where for anybody right now who's saying. This game sounds like a lot of fun. Tom and Bill were excited about this, but I still have no idea how to play. I don't mm -hmm. know where to go get models. How do I even look at what this game is? Where do people go dig that information up? Yeah. So I would say the first place to go is www.moonstonethegame.com. Still uh, a brand new site. <laughs> <laughs> So, so on there, um, you'll there's a, a download link where you can download the rules for free, all of the stat cards for free, all of the paper dolls, and the two custom card decks. So you could, you can, you you know, you, you don't need to spend a penny to find out whether you like the game or not. Um, if you do like the game, there's a link on uh, MoonstoneTheGame.com for where to buy, and there's a big button that says buy now on Firestorm Games. Firestorm Games are, are just selling off uh, the the last of our last batch of stock. Um, we're in the pro process at the moment of building up a, a big new pile um, um, with a new producer. Oh, okay. Uh, so... So you can get, um, you can still get bits. We haven't been pushing it particularly hard on the marketing front, um, whilst we've been building up stock levels, because our biggest problem in this game has always been um, lack of supply rather than lack of demand. So, um, but now we've, we're in the middle of building up a big stockpile. Now that's why we're kind of coming back out of our our shells and and starting to pipe up again on various channels like this one. Very nice, very nice. And the whole rule book's there, so people can download that. Um, yeah, it's just the rules pamphlet. It's just the 16-page the core rules. It, oh, we've okay. also got a 100-odd you know, page a full rule book that's got exactly the same rules in it, but it's got all of the characters and fluff and stuff as well and maps and things. Now, I will say this. Um, the rule book is fantastic. Um, oh, thank you. I have a copy of the rule book. Uh, the art is great. The fluff is great. The, the, the writing is, uh, you know, well, I mean, I know the guy that wrote some of it and, uh, it, it's okay. So, but then also the, the alternate scenarios and the story of scenarios. I really like that. Yeah. What I really like about them is, um, they, they follow a narrative. Mm -hmm. You can play this through, and we've done exactly the same thing with the, we've created six new scenarios for book two, and we've followed the same format. So there, there's actually two sets of three scenarios which flow on from one another and tell a story. Um, they're, they're really good fun. Um, they, they're not tournament balanced by any means, um, and they're not consistent in terms of the duration. Some of them are over quite quickly. Um, but they tell a little story in the world 
And um, I would definitely, you know, if anyone has bought the starter set and is wondering whether to bother with getting the rule book, I would definitely recommend it for those scenarios. I uh, I agree with you. I agree. So that's the website. You also have two Facebook pages. We do. So there is uh, www.facebook.com forward slash Moonstone the game, which is our uh, main page, uh, which we don't publish too often. It's normally kind of big announcements and, um, you know, new artwork and things like that. And then we've got our Moonstone players group, which has been a private group for the last couple of years, but as of yesterday is now a public group. So anyone who does a search on Facebook for Moonstone players uh, will find that group. And that's got tons and tons and tons of uh, people's paint jobs and battle reports and commentary on the game and uh, questions. It, you know, it's it's quite active. So well worth checking that out. Nice. And then I would be uh, remiss if I did not mention the brand new Moonstone dedicated Mooncast. So, oh yes, I'm very excited about that. And, and you know these guys, right? They're from uh, they're they're from your side of the uh, your side of the pond. Yeah, unfortunately, the opposite side of the country. But um, <laughs> I've, I've been over to visit uh, a couple of times, and and they've actually become really good friends. Um, in fact, um, I'm. Richie and I and and Dan, who runs the um, runs the new podcast, um, probably chat daily on you know ideas that are, that are bubbling around in our heads for future developments of characters and things like that. So they're, they're absolutely lovely guys. Um, Dan, in fact, who um, we've come to know particularly well um, as as kind of a, a thank you for all the support he's given because he's been. Um, he's, he's been really good with organising tournaments and, and things. We, we're going to try and build a character for him oh, uh, nice. in the future, like we've done with um, uh, uh, Kaufman. So he'll he'll kind of be built into the game as, as a big thank you from us for, for everything that he's done. But he, he's produced an awful lot of uh, YouTube videos on uh, Ye Olde Battle Reps, uh, which there's quite a lot of uh, Moonstone uh, playthroughs. He's got a very, very nice style on youtube they don't record the whole game which can last obviously a couple of hours they just record the highlights so you can get for a whole game in about 15 or 20 minutes um and it's a, a, a format that i really enjoy because i can fit it into a lunch break and now they're <laughs> now they're producing a podcast and i'm really really excited about that as well that's, so we'll see, awesome. see how it goes. I think they're only up to episode two at the moment. I think episode two came out today. So, and I haven't listened to it yet. So <laughs> they better not be saying anything bad about us in this one. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> and they're not on. Uh, they're not on iTunes yet, but they are on Podbean. So anybody yeah. who wants to go look for them, go look for them on Podbean. Uh, well worth a listen. And you know, it's always good, especially with these uh, sort of. N- I want to say newer games, right? Uh, Moonstone's been out about a year now uh, with these newer games to start getting that uh, that support out there and growing that support even more. Yeah. So, well, Tom, thank you very much. Anything you want to add before I uh, before I let you go? No, um, no, it's it's been great. I would just encourage anyone who um, who's interested to, to find us on on those. Um, channels that we mentioned and, and get, get in contact with us because there's a, a lot of exciting things coming along and there'll be plenty of spoilers on our on our socials coming along in the next few weeks so try and, and dig us out and i will certainly throw it out there anybody who shows up in the uh, northern virginia washington dc area and wants a game give me an excuse to get my models out <laughs> yeah awesome <laughs> would appreciate it so absolutely well tom thank you so much and you yeah it's been a pleasure Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat that Tom and I had. If you are interested in Moonstone, let me put a little bug in your ear. Uh, April 27th and 28th in Ashburn, Virginia at Huzzah Hobbies is the Spring Fling Convention. Check that out at uh, http springfling.coda.net. Um, 
We're going to be demoing. Uh, we have all four factions, uh, both factions, all four races of uh, of Moonstone. We're going to be demoing it at the convention. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some giveaways of the Moonstone variety, along with a number of other board games. Um, the Guild Ball, the Guild Ball tournament that is in conjunction with the Spring Fling and part of the Spring Fling is sold out, but there is a lot of availability left for tickets on the on the board game side. So please come check that out. Again, that's uh, springfling.coda.net. Uh, if you are interested in getting a hold of me, you can reach me at bill at gamerslounge.coda.net. If you enjoyed what you heard, I would love for you to leave a rating on iTunes. It will help people know that I am back, that the podcast is back, and that there is something here to listen to. Lastly, if you are on Facebook, while I am not a huge fan of Facebook, I do use it from time to time. And Gamers Lounge is on Facebook. It has a fan page. I uh, welcome you there. I respond when people post. At least I try to respond when people post. And uh, you can find it. It is the sexy, old-timey microphone. So all of that being said, thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks. 